0: Uh, Hello and welcome back to the Observer Station. I'm your host Wheeler. And I'm Walter. Thanks for tuning in. Hello everyone. I hope you are all having a great April Fool's Day full of pranks and fun. In the spirit of April Fool's Day, tricks on you. We're not going to be going into any maritime prank stories. However... I would really love to listen to some of them. So if anybody has any pranks that they've done on ships that are kosher to share, uh, please feel free to share it with us, either via email or on our socials. In the spirit of April Fool's Day, I am going to switch gears and reverse and uh, finish up Women's History Month. Herstory! So let's talk about notable women in ocean science. So let's talk about the marine biologists, let's talk about the oceanographers, let's talk about the ocean geologists. Um, let's look back in history and wrap up Women's History Month with some notable women of science, particularly along the lines of our job. So let's begin with one of my favorites, Marie So she redefined the role of women in the field of subsurface geology as an oceanographic cartographer, equipped with detailed analytical skills THARP kickstarted her scientific career at Thumbia University's Lamont-Doherty Earth Observation Lab. The head of the laboratory operations pushed the researchers towards the oceans to study the seafloor as sonar technology developed. However, Navy regulations restricted THARP from setting foot on research vessels, since she was a woman. As her lab mates spent years at sea collecting data, THARP carefully examined the numbers and charted them out by hand. In 1956, her work was published. She had discovered the Mid-Ocean Ridge, also known as the backbone of Earth. Bruce Heeson, Tharp's research supervisor and partner in creating the 1977 World Ocean Floor Map, presented the discovery publicly. She was the woman who mapped the ocean floor, disproving the theories promoting an entirely flat seafloor. Like many women in the 1950s, her role was diminished by gender stereotypes. Yet her renowned map still hangs in the offices of ocean scientists around the world. So she was actually responsible for one of the most significant bathymetric discoveries ever made. So back in 1952, she was actually working as a draftsman, and there she actually provided validity of continental drift, uh, which is the idea that all continents were once connected. So she did this by discovering and mapping a rift valley in the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, which lined up perfectly with separate earthquake maps from the same geological area. And even Bruce Heinson himself was quoted as saying that Marie's job for me was to decide what a structure was, whether a rise in the echoes, soundings represented a hill, or something longer like a ridge, and then she was to map it. In three of the transatlantic profiles, she noticed an unmistakable notch in the mid-Atlantic ridge, and she decided they were continuous Rift Valley and told me, I discounted it as girl talk and didn't believe it for a year. So she's actually credited with discovering the Mid-Atlantic Ridge and the validity of continental drift. And this is kind of cool because it applies to our job because her work actually has to do with the maps that we use at NOAA and NIMS today. Um, They have roots in her work, which I think is incredible. Another woman who I also think is amazing and I'm I highly praise her is Dr. Nancy Foster. Um, so Dr. Nancy Foster Foster, I feel was a visionary leader, um, and she helped actually lay the groundwork for today's network of marine sanctuaries and estuary research reserves. So she, Uh, actually began her career at NOAA in 1977, and she quickly rose to the Director of Sanctuary and Reserve Programs. So in the mid-1980s, she actually became the Chief of the National Marine Fishery Sciences Office of Protected Resources, where we work. And there she actually formed the Habitat Restoration Center, the NOAA Chesapeake Bay Office, and other various marine programs. She then served as acting assistant administrator of NIMS from January to October of 1993. She was the deputy administrator of NIMS from 93 to 97. She was the assistant administrator of the National Ocean Service from 98 until she unfortunately died in 2000. But she had so much vision and passion for the environment that she led NOAA into this modern era of coastal resource management and conservation that we actually find ourselves working for. And I don't think it would be Women's History Month without, you know, giving her some praise. Herstory! Someone else that has to do with our job is actually Rear Admiral Evelyn J. Fields. She was actually the first woman to direct the NOAA Corps and Office of Marine and Aviation Operations. She was also the first African-American woman to join NOAA-commissioned officer corps and the first woman to reach the rank of Rear Admiral in the NOAA Corps. So she was not afraid to step up to a challenge. She actually began her career at NOAA as a cartographer and was eager to join the NOAA Corps as soon as women were granted entrance. She had a rich and varied career in the Corps, and she said that particularly challenging and rewarding post was serving as commanding officer of the NOAA ship MacArthur. She's quoted saying, It's the kind of assignment you look for, and it never occurred to me to turn it down because I'm a woman. Once you leave the pier, you are really the one in control, the one making the decisions. As a junior officer, you always have someone to fall back on, someone else who has the final responsibility. As commanding officer, you are that person. Speaking of the NOAA-commissioned officer corps, Pamela, and I'm going to get this name completely wrong, Chil, uh, Chilgren, Cotterba she was actually the first woman ever to be admitted into the NOAA commissioned officer corps. So she made history in June of 1972 by being that first woman. So the work of the NOAA Corps officers is critical to acquiring scientific data and delivering information and products to the public. Pamela was commissioned along with 17 other officers, but she was the only woman in an organization of 345 members. She paved the way for other women to join the NOAA Corps. So by 1975, 18 women officers had followed her lead. She rose to the rank of commander and then retired from service in May of 1995. But it was actually Rear Admiral Harley D. Nigren who made the decision to admit women to the NOAA Corps. Um, He was quoted saying, We did not have men's jobs and women's jobs. Anything women wanted to try, they could, and more power to them. So thank you, Rear Admiral Harley. All right, now let's take a detour away from Noah and our job, and let's look at other women of import who were pioneers of ocean exploration. So let's look at Dr. Sylvia Earle, who was constantly inspired by her surroundings in natural environment growing up. At the age of 16, she was driven by desire to explore underwater mysteries and attempted her first dive before the creation of scuba with a diving helmet. 28 years la- later, Earl became the first woman to walk the ocean floor, 1,500 feet below the surface. She, was, she completed her famous two-hour ocean floor walk in a pressurized metal gym suit. Earl was responsible for leading the first all-woman team to live in an underwater habitat for two weeks on the Type project as a woman biologist during a time of bearded scientists it was evident that female leadership in ocean science was unheard of. She earned universal respect from scientific community and made it possible for women to remain at the forefront of the ocean exploration movement. With 60 expeditions logging more than 7,000 hours beneath the surface, her deepness has set and continues to set a standard for male and female scientists around the world. So I think she's amazing, and I think that she's really cool, and we kind of owe her um, for us women being at the forefront of science nowadays. Another woman of note is Maria Mitchell. As a pioneer for both ocean navigation and feminism, Maria Mitchell became the first woman-elected fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1848. While growing up on the island of McTucket, she explored the stars and was entrusted by local mariners to handle complex navigational calculations for whaling trips at the age of only 14. Er. Mitchell's curiosity led to the discovery of Miss Mitchell's Comet in 1947. She continued her research within the field of astronomy, influencing her work for the U.S. Nautical Almanac Office that assisted sailors with navigation at sea. Mitchell was eventually hired as a full-time professor at Vassar College, where she promoted equal pay for equal work when she discovered her male counterparts were receiving a higher salary for the same position. Maria Mitchell led scientific discovery through curiosity and strong will to succeed and became a role model for future female explorers. So thank you again. All right, let's move on to Rachel Carson, one of the most celebrated nature writers of the 20th century. Rachel Carson is widely credited for her advancement of the environmental movement and the creation of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. As a trained marine biologist, she used her scientific background and a voice to advocate for ecological conservation, inspire fascination in the interconnected web of life and to question the long-term consequences of humanity's synthetic so-called mastery over the natural world. Carson was met with many obstacles as an intelligent woman in the 1950s workplace. Critics dismissed her theories, and due to her gender status, sometimes exclaimed she was hysterical to blame human pesticides use for major ecosystem damage in her writing Silent Spring. However, she prevailed by challenging the forces she needed to, overcoming through scientific literature and environmental advocacy. Cindy Lee Van Dover. So Dr. Cindy Lee Van Dover was the first and only female pilot Of a womaned, (laughs) haha, get it, womaned, a deep diving (laughs) submersible known as Alvin. She has since led 48 expeditions. Her fascination with deep sea exploration led to the discovery of strange organisms like deep sea vent tube worms and similarly weird and wondrous forms of alien life. Out of 42 engineers, and former naval commanders, she remains the only woman to pilot the Alvin and hit a biological breakthrough in discovering the largest deep-sea hydrothermal vent area along the Galapagos Rift, a site we may never have endeavored to explore without the discovery of the Mid-Atlantic Ridge by the aforementioned Marie Tharp. Another woman of note is Katie Payne, Although whales remain as mysterious and elusive as ever, our knowledge of the way they communicate has increased drastically in the relative brief period of time. Katie Payne, a researcher in acoustic biology at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, had a lot to do with it, and so did her ear for music. In the 1960s, scientists started recording whale sounds beneath the surface. Katie and her husband, Roger Payne, of Ocean Alliance, were the first to recognize that the calls of humpback whales are not sounds made at random, but complex songs that are collectively composed and evolve over time. Katie's accomplishment in the study of bioacoustics and whale research offer a lesson in perspective. There is always another way of hearing and seeing, especially beyond the surface level. And that concludes our Women's History wrap up. History. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning into this very short episode. Uh, but I couldn't leave our March Women's Month without wrapping up some more significant, amazing women who have dedicated a lot to our job and our careers and have set us on a good foot of being a forefront in science. So, happy Women's History Month! Thank you guys all for joining. Have a good day.